0: Good morning, everyone. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to gather together, even when it's online. We get to share in the beauty of your word and the wisdom that it brings us in the knowledge of you that we get to come closer to you. We pray that we would leave today closer to you than when we arrived. Thank you for your presence. Amen. So we are continuing today in our series called Wherever You Go. This is the 10th week of this series. We've been on a journey through the earliest books of the Bible, the, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which is sometimes called the Pentateuch. We've been going through some of the important stories and characters of these books, who form a foundation for everything else that we read in the Bible. We started with Adam and Eve, and then Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, including his two wives and the great story there. We heard how Jacob received the name of Israel, the name that God's people would carry. We we heard from Joseph how Israel's family moved to Egypt, and now we've been talking about Moses. Israel spent centuries in Egypt where they grew and multiplied and were eventually taken as slaves by the Egyptians. But God freed them through powerful acts and the promise of a land, which would be theirs, promised to Abraham and their forefathers. Last week, John shared with us about the time when Israel received the covenant from God at Mount Sinai after escaping Egypt. This is in the book of Exodus. He took us on a journey that took Israel from slavery to worship and encouraged us on our own journey as worshipers. The next part of the story really should be Israel going from Sinai to take possession of their new land, to walk in the power of God and in the certainty of his promise. But if you know your Bible stories, that's not the next part. Did you know it's only supposed to take 11 days to walk from Egypt to Canaan, the promised land? But Israel wanders in the desert for 40 years. How did that happen? Well. Let's be fair to the Bible and realize that Israel was never going to make that journey in 11 days. In fact, the Bible tells us that it took them three months just to get to Mount Sinai. That's in Exodus 19, verse 1. Numbers 9 tells us about Israel celebrating the first anniversary of the Passover, and they're still at Sinai. So that's another nine months that they've spent encamped at the foot of the mountain. In fact, Numbers 10, verse 11 says they departed Sinai on the 20th day, of the second month of the second year. So it's already been almost 14 months since they left Egypt. That 11-day number was never going to happen. So what happened why Israel had to wander the desert for 40 years? Well, there is, there's this theme, this recurring pattern in the story where God has done these incredible signs and wonders and he's brought them out of Egypt, but then something happens. And Israel begins to grumble and complain, cry out, and otherwise make their displeasure known towards God. Here, let's take a look at it. The first passage is from the crossing of the Red Sea. Pharaoh is chasing the Israelites with his army. Exodus 14 verses 10 to 12. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. I, I kind of give them a pass on this one. Like, there were literally chariots barreling down on them, so I, I kind of get it. But it, it sets a pattern, a pattern of grumbling, of faithlessness, of rebellion. I mean, since crossing the Red Sea, they've had three more incidents like this. In Exodus 15-24, the people grumbled. They came to the bitter waters of Mara, which they couldn't drink. But God showed Moses a certain stick to throw into the water, and then the water became sweet. Don't don't, don't ask me to explain that one. I have no idea. But here's another incident. It's been like three days since God split the Red Sea, and here's the people complaining. Then in 16.2, the whole community grumbled. They were hungry. God sends a provision of manna, the white flakes that appear on the ground overnight, that they're able to bake into a type of bread. So they're complaining again, this time about food. And in chapter 17, verse 2, it says they quarreled with Moses. and This time it was because they were thirsty. But again, God provides and God sends Moses to strike a large rock with a stick. And it splits and water starts pouring out of it enough to keep the whole community. Finally, they arrive at Sinai and Moses receives the covenant. And what does Israel do? Chapter 32, the first thing they do, they they build a golden calf. They immediately forget Moses and decide to try things their own way. So, like, at this point, this is a pattern. These people are consistently rebellious, faithless, complaining. These aren't just one-off events. Like, this keeps happening. So, let's fast forward to Numbers 13, 14. We're going to skip over the book of Leviticus because there's not really any story going on there. But we'll, we'll go to Numbers 13 and 14, where Israel is finally preparing to go take the promised land. God tells Moses to send in scouts to the land. Moses orders them to bring back both a military report about the state of fortifications, how healthy and numerous are the people, and also an agricultural report about the land itself, the fruit and produce of the land. Moses knows there's going to be a fight. But he also wants to be able to show the people that this land really is flowing with milk and honey. The twelve spies are sent into the land, and they return after forty days with their report. Let's read, starting in verse 26 of chapter 13 of the book of Numbers. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt, or in this wilderness! Why is the Lord bringing us to this land, only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader, and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the temple of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? You see what I mean? This this is a pattern. This has been their behavior basically since they left Egypt. So God is... I, think understandably very angry with the people. In fact, God thinks about destroying them and starting over with Moses. Fortunately, God relents from that path. However, there are still consequences. Let's read a bit more. Numbers 14, verses 20 to 23. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them, as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times not one of them will ever see the land i promised on oath to their ancestors no one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it now god does allow joshua and caleb who were the two good spies to survive this time and they do enter the promised land but they stay with the community during the 40 years of wandering we'll learn more about this wandering time next week when donna shares with us But, in the meantime, what can we learn from this? Well, first we need to remember our perspective. The Israelites saw so many things. They saw the Nile turn to blood. They saw the plague of locusts. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw water come from a rock. They'd been eating the miraculous manna for like two years at this point. And yet, they forgot. It's so easy. God comes through for you, God saves you, God pulls you out of a situation, and just a little while later, you find yourself in another spot of difficulty. Maybe it's similar, maybe it's different, but you forget that God has already saved you before and that he can do it again. This is one of the lessons that Joshua really learns. In the book of Joshua, Israel crosses the Jordan River on dry land when they do go to actually take the the land. And it's not unlike when they cross the Red Sea, because the water has parted. But this time, Joshua has them take huge stones from the bed of the river and set them up on the other side as a reminder, as a memorial. That story is in Joshua 3 and 4, mostly chapter 4. So, what stones do you need to set up in your life? What are the things that you can do to memorialize and help stir up your faith? when you need to remember times in the past that God has provided. Second, we need to listen to the right people. Moses sent those spies into the Promised Land, and he was right to do it. In fact, God told him to. Joshua does the same thing when the Israelites do their conquest 40 years later. Sending the spies wasn't the problem. The problem was they sent the wrong people, and then they let those wrong people tell everyone else what they thought. Those ten spies saw the same things as Joshua and Caleb, but their report, how they interpreted those facts, was wildly different. Where Joshua and Caleb saw opportunity and God's faithfulness, these ten saw only difficulty and failure. They had lost their perspective, as we just talked about. I gotta say, I know people like this. I know people who, when something comes up, it's always, well, I'd better make sure my will is up to date, and... Other actions and words that suggest that they, like the Israelites, have forgotten how faithful God is. Like, no matter what God has already done in their lives, no matter how God has already provided, their mindset seems to be that obviously this time God is going to abandon them. It's really important that when we get into a situation where we are are vulnerable, where we need support and encouragement, that we don't let those people speak into our lives at that moment. Because people who do not see God at work will not tell us about God's faithfulness and push us toward his presence. They'll remind us about everything that's wrong in the world and about the reasons we have to be afraid and all the evils that have been committed. That's not what I need in those moments, and I think it's probably not what you need either. So make sure you're listening to the right people, the people whose report will focus on the presence of God. Joshua and Caleb saw opportunity in God's faithfulness. We need Joshuas and Caleb's in our lives. Finally, we need to know and walk in and live our entire lives in the reality of God's presence and care. These people of Israel turned their backs on God so many times. Do not be one of them. Today we've talked about six instances, six, where they turned away, where they grumbled and told God that they wished they were back in Egypt. And these weren't the last times. This pattern continues. In fact, it basically continues all the way until the Jewish exile in Babylon, the one where we get Daniel, and when they come back, that's when we get Ezra and Nehemiah. It's like a thousand years later. A thousand years! Where was God? Every time, where was God? He was calling them back. He disciplined, yes, but he also forgave. And rewarded when they were faithful. As it says in Romans chapter 3 verse 4, let God be true and every man a liar. God is faithful, and in those times when you're swept up, when your circumstances cause you to lose your perspective, when the wrong people catch your ear and your mind and heart and are filled with things that push you away from God, know that when you turn around, God is there waiting. Throughout the Bible, God never tires of teaching us because he loves us. This story of the Israelites reminds me of the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Luke tells this story, Jesus tells the story of a son who betrays and abandons his father. And when that son's chickens come home to roost when he's spent all of his money and realizes what a terrible mistake he's made, the father is waiting for him to come home and runs to embrace his son. None of us are perfect. That's why Jesus came. But we have to remember in those moments of wild imperfection that God is no further from us. And as soon as we turn back, he'll be right there. So let's recap our action points for today. One, we need to keep our perspective and remember God's faithfulness in the past. Two, we need to guard who is being allowed to speak into our lives, influencing our thoughts and actions. And three, on those occasions where we do take the rebellious path, We have to know that God is ready and waiting to welcome us back. It doesn't make it easy or take away the consequences of our actions, but God doesn't abandon us. The Israelites went on a literal journey, and although our lives are often more of a metaphorical journey than a physical one, as God was with them, so God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we could spend in your word. I pray that we would take these lessons, that we would look to the example of the Israelites of Moses, of Joshua and Caleb, and the other characters in the Bible, Lord, that we would learn about how we can be better followers of you, that we would learn your heart, that we would draw nearer to you through this exercise, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how you've preserved it for us through the centuries. We thank you for your son, and we thank you especially for your Holy Spirit who lives in us and lights. you your word for us, that we could learn learn, and know you and be loved by you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, you guys.